Well, church, it is good to be back together. And my, my hope is that as we have gotten to worship um, and celebrate and ask God for things this morning, that you have already experienced God's presence and God's goodness this morning. And I pray that he would continue to help us to do that as we open up his word together this morning. And we are continuing our We Are series, looking at the family values of our church. And so far, we've covered true worshipers, inviting neighbors, and growing disciples. And today, we're hitting our fourth family value, which is devoted family. Devoted family. And um, I think when I think about this idea of our church being a family, on, on paper, this is really great, right? But then we start asking the question, okay, um, if our church is supposed to be like a family, um, how many of us came from really strong, healthy families, right? The reality is, is that even if you came from a healthy family, there's things about the family that you grow up with, grew up in that's a little bit different, right? So even if we're not talking about dysfunction, all of us have things that our family, that we did not know was weird in our family until we started spending time around other people and their families, right? And that, that collective chuckle means, oh yes, I remember, I know exactly, I remember the moment. So let me pick on Lauren and her family, okay? So, because um, we like to joke about those kinds of things. Like what are things we thought was normal until we started spending time around other people? And so Lauren's mom is one of 10 kids, Okay, very large family. And so Lauren thought it was normal that family reunions happened every year and that there were like 100 plus people there every, every year. And here's what I'll tell you. When there's 100 plus people gathered together that all originate out of West Virginia, there is nothing normal about that at all. Okay, and so she had to learn, okay, you know, my family was, was you know, pretty good, but there were some things that made us strange, some things that made us weird, right? And here's the thing, we, we all have that, right? Like we've all had that moment where you're like, oh, okay, that makes us a little bit different. Not even bad, but weird, a little bit different, right? And so if we call the church a family, what it's doing is it's actually putting a really high expectation on how we should live with one another and love one another. And here's what's challenging about that, is that anytime you gather together imperfect people, it's going to make things difficult, right? Like there's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, you'd better leave because you're gonna mess it up, right? Like, like that's just the reality. Um, but just because we can't expect a church to be perfect does not mean that we should not have high expectations for how we relate with one another. And here's the thing. The New Testament agrees. So there are 59 verses in the, in the New Testament that speak to how you and I in church should relate with one another. And so what I did, these aren't all the verses, but these are all the categories. Um, I just try, we, I tried to like collectively just get them all down. They didn't even fit on one slide because there are so many of them, right? So they're simple things, right? Like love one another, greet one another, welcome one another, be at peace with one another, right? And then you, I mean, they just keep going, right? Like, so go to the next one, right? Build one another up, teach one another, sing with one another, right? Like you could, you could spend probably a whole year if you wanted to. I mean, there's 59 verses, 52 weeks. You could spend more than a year digging into all of these if we wanted to. But what this shows us is that how we relate to one another really matters, and there's a lot that the Bible has to say about it. And so hear me, we're not going to be able to dig into all of it today. 
But what I do want to do is highlight one passage that has a bunch of them in there. Um, but, but what we're going to have to do is we're going to create a term this morning, okay? And so but how do we summarize all of these, right? And so we've created this category called one anothering. And so what we want to do is we want to be a devoted family that lives out the one another's of the Bible, that we are people who one another well, right? And that's just our way of saying, hey, there's all these things. There's all these categories for how we're supposed to interact with one another. And we want to do all of that well. And so devoted family means we live out these one another's of the Bible. And so let me just, let me just tell you what, what I have seen and experienced. The idea of one anothering well is something that I think that I have seen in, in different church contexts. I have seen that in general, when things are really, really, really good, or when things are really, really, really hard, this is something that the church does well, right? Like just last night, I was at um, a wedding for some friends of ours from our old church. And what was really cool to see was um, I, I started looking around and I was like, there's these pockets of people that don't belong. Like you look around, you're like, they're not family. They're not the same age. And then I realized what it was is both of these two, they're small groups that they'd been in for a couple years, which kind of ranged anywhere from like 20 to 70. They're both of their small groups had been invited to the wedding. And it was incredible to see the church saying, hey, we are supportive of you. We're excited for you. My hope is that they were really generous in the gifts they gave for them, right? So when things are going well, I see the church doing this. And then I also see and have experienced that when things are difficult, the church does this well. I mean, literally this week, like we've talked, my mom and I have talked about this as my dad's been in the hospital, almost to the point, and I say this positively, of bugging us of asking for ways that people can help. And even when we said, we don't know, I mean, there were people who just like randomly showed up at our house with food. And so what I have seen is that just by and large, the church does one anothering well on the mountains and in the valleys. But what I've recognized is that most of the time when we don't one another well, it's the everyday, ordinary, mundane days. And I think, ooh, that wasn't good sounding. I think what it is, is that what's required of us to one another well, we can keep it in the right perspective when things are on either extreme. But in our day-to-day life, what's required of us to one another well is not easy to keep in perspective when it's an average, ordinary day. And so what I recognize is that this morning, not, not everybody who's in here is maybe a part of this church yet. Maybe you're a guest, maybe you're, you're visiting. I recognize even that maybe not everyone in the room this morning is even a Christian. And today, the passage that we have, what's interesting is it's gonna have things that help us in how we live out and love people, whether or not we claim to be followers of Jesus or are a part of this church or not. So my, my prayer would be that you would lean in and let God speak to what he wants for how we interact with one another, kind of anywhere and everywhere we go. So let's dive in. We're gonna read those words that Lexi just read for us. Colossians 3, starting in verse nine, it says, don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sin for nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator 
and become like him. All right, and so what Paul is going to do, the imagery that he uses in this passage is he is using the, the metaphor of somebody who is taking off clothes and putting clothes on. And so what he starts out by saying is, hey, you have a sinful flesh that you need to take off. And as I've been thinking about this, it's kind of like, okay, you know, after you do anything strenuous, and you get a little bit sweaty, maybe you're exercising, or maybe, I mean, we're in South Carolina, you might just be outside for five minutes in July, okay? Right, what happens? You get hot, you get sweaty, and there's this moment that, at least for me, where whenever I'm done doing what I'm doing, I become instantly aware of just how gross what I'm wearing is. It's kind of sticking to you, you can smell it a little bit, What Paul is saying is, hey, there's this old nature, there's this sinful flesh that is like that. It's kind of stinky. It definitely clings to you. And what he's saying is that, hey, in Christ, you and I are supposed to take that off. Why? Because there's a new way that he wants us to be dressed to represent him well. And so he's saying, take off those clothes so you can put something else on. He's saying, hey, I'm gonna instruct you on how to put on an outfit that accurately represents Christ. And so the first step in that is you've got to strip off your old nature, your old flesh, and here's what this means, okay? If the church is a new covenant community, then the only way we live in a new covenant community is in our new nature. A new covenant community requires a new nature. If we try to operate in this new covenant community from our old sinful flesh, We're not going to want another well. And so here's what makes this challenging. Is that in Christ, you and I have a new nature, but that doesn't mean that instantly we're perfect. Right? Galatians 5 would actually say that our old nature and our new nature are at war with one another inside of us. And so that means that living in new covenant community, we are not always going to be operating from and thinking through our new nature, which means we have to take off and put on. And so we permanently, it's really interesting, he says, hey, you've stripped off your old nature. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed. So there's this idea where permanently you have put on your new nature, but also we are constantly being renewed reformed, transformed by looking and learning more about Jesus. And so we not only, it not only requires a new nature, but new covenant community requires continuous renewal. We need to be people who are consistently being renewed. I think almost about um, when, when you're pulling up like on the internet and you need to refresh a page, this idea of like, hey, I've got to consistently be getting refreshed. And every time I do, the idea is that I look one step closer and closer to Jesus. And so we've got to be people who look more like Christ and being transformed into his image. And here's why this is so important. All right, it's, it's, this, it's the difference between running water and standing water, right? Standing water, right, because it's not moving, bad, dangerous, toxic stuff can grow in it, right? Running water, a river, because there's this constant change, I mean, that's kind of what happens, right? 
No, like bad stuff has a much harder time growing in, a, in running water because it's always changing. And so what happens is that if we aren't constantly being renewed in Christ, there's this, there's this dangerous bad stuff that can grow. And so here's the thing, y'all, I mean, y'all know it, right? You've seen a pond, like there's, a, there's this retention pond that I run by all the time. And it's one of those where like, <laughs> Jonathan was like, man, like you could, I mean, if you could have, there's houses being built right there. Like that would be like a pretty view. And I'm like, no way, man, that thing is muddy. It's brown most of the time. Like, I don't even wanna know what's growing in there, right? That would be, it would be dangerous to actually get in that water. And what I'm afraid of is if, if we are people who are not being renewed in Christ, then we might look like the right way on the surface. But if anybody were to actually engage, wade in, if they were coming to us looking for life, that bad stuff that's growing in us would actually come out of us into them and it would be more harmful than helpful. And that's why it's so important that we are being renewed in the image of Christ, right? So we put off the old sinful nature. We put on and we're renewed. And as we do that, the the old nature and the things that used to distinguish us begin to fade away. Right, so in verse 11, he says, in this new life, right, continuing living this new way, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Here's what he's saying, is that distinctions disappear in Christ, right? The things that this world would tell us should separate us, and let's be clear, The culture does tell us that things that we are differing in should separate us. And and what Paul hits at here, he's hitting a wide variety of categories. He's saying, hey, your race shouldn't separate you. Right, Your, your former religion, right, where you've come from religiously shouldn't separate us. Cultural, economic, social, all of that is in view in the list that he gives. And what I see is that too often we form groups based on what we have in common because we over-identify with things other than Jesus. And we let those be the things that are most true about us, not the fact that we're followers of Jesus. We form groups around that and then we exclude people who don't fit into those molds. And so what it reminds me of, and some of you, this is gonna bring back painful memories, this reminds me of the lunchroom in high school, right? I mean, we got, some, we got some high schoolers in the room. Like, y'all know, when you walk into the cafeteria, certain groups of people sit in certain parts, right? Like, you know, hey, that little corner over there, it's where the baseball team sits. Band kids are over here, theater kids are over here. And then what happens inevitably in, in each generation, it reinvents itself. There's this group that doesn't fit into the other groups, and then they create a group and a group identity as well. Right, and so here's the thing. We would love to think now that we're not in high school, now that we're adults, we would never sink that low to distinguish ourselves. Man, we are a lot more like high schoolers than we ever want to imagine, which is a terrifying thought when you have kids. But guys, these, these, distinqui- these, these distinguishers, these things that make us different, it's not just that they go away, right? Like the thing that makes you unique like, it's still true of you. It's that it, it no longer is the most true thing about you, right? Christ is all that matters. And so the, the, the things that make you unique, yes, those are good. Those are actually God-given. What Paul is saying is those things can't become so important 
that you're unable to be in unity and in fellowship with people who look or think a little bit differently than you. Right, and so he's saying, hey, the things that this world would say should divide us cannot continue to be obstacles in light of the cross. And I think one of the things that I'm recognizing is our, our culture, here's the thing, our culture likes that idea. Our culture would say, hey, no, 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 it's a good thing that there should be nothing that separates us. But what I'm seeing is that in our culture, we don't want anything to separate us, but we also really don't feel comfortable with people having, having differing thoughts and opinions than we do. And so what can happen at the same time is that we can both, we can have unity, but we do not have to have uniformity. We can have oneness, and that doesn't mean we have to all look the same. And that's actually good news, and it's really only possible when we keep Jesus as the most important thing about us. All right, so I just want, let me illustrate this, okay? In the room this morning, we got people who think differently about things. And here's what I'll tell you. Some of you are going to be right. Some of you are going to be wrong. But we're going to have a chance publicly to see who's right and who's wrong on these things. So, okay, let's just imagine hypothetically that um, you and I, we go out to eat to a sub, a sub shop, okay? You, you're working down through the line. You, you get through all the stuff you're adding. Let's, let's, let's there's, there's a, I mean, lots of options. Get down to the very end, the condiment on your sub. If you're a mayonnaise person, raise your hand. Okay, mayonnaise people, mayonnaise people. All right, what about my mustard people? Okay, smaller group, but man, that's, the, that's my people right there, okay, right? We got mayo people, we got mustard. Let's, let's ratchet it up just a little bit. Where are my dog people at? Dog people, okay, okay. Where are my cat people at? Okay, yep, I'm sorry, it's unfortunate. Here's the thing, here's the thing, okay? Um, there's a part of me that really wants to sit in judgment of you mayonnaise cat people, Okay. <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing. That's not the most important thing, right? And, and, and obviously that's, that's silly, right? But the reality is, is that that is true for how we should engage all secondary and tertiary issues, right? So like, I mean, like, I mean, guys, we're in 2024, okay? November is coming and it's gonna be terrible the whole way there, okay? Wholeheartedly believe that. And what our world would say is that if you and I don't think the exact same way on all these issues, that we can't operate in community the way that God wants us to. And here's the thing, that's not new to our culture. Think about Jesus's disciples, right? You have Matthew, the tax collector, right? Tax collector, he would have been an ally of Rome and an enemy of the Jewish people, okay? You got him in the mix and you've got Simon the Zealot, okay? He was a part of a political group of people that opposed the Roman government oftentimes by force. Those guys were a part of a small group of 12 guys that traveled the world and slept beside each other for three years. And so if, if, if that could, did not divide Jesus' disciples then, then we can't let it divide Jesus' disciples now. And that's what Paul is driving at. And here's the thing. What he's saying is that those things belong to the old flesh. They belong to your old nature. They cannot be the thing that causes us issues in the new nature and in this new community. 
right? And so here, here's what, I mean, here, like, let's recognize, if we are going to operate in community with people who think differently than we do, who maybe look differently, who maybe dress differently, inevitably, what that's going to mean is that there's going to be tensions, there's going to be difficulties, right? Like, like it's going to be difficult. It is not easy to love and live in proximity with people who are different than you. But just because it's not easy doesn't mean it's not worth it and ultimately beautiful. And so that's why Paul gives us this long list um, from 12 to 15. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves. Pause, let's not read anymore. It's easy for me when I read a passage like this to skim right by a, a phrase like that to get into, okay, just got you. Tell me what to do, okay? That's how I read the Bible, okay? But let's not do that because what Paul is saying is, hey, I'm gonna require some really difficult things of you, but let me anchor that back to Jesus because Jesus is the only way or the only reason that you would do this. So it says that God chose you, God pursued you. If you are a Christian, it's because God pursued and initiated a relationship with you, not the other way around. That's mind-blowing, right? It says that you are the holy people he loves, right? Because of Christ, you and I have a status and a standing with God that we could have never earned ourselves. And then he says, we're the holy people he loves, that we are people whom God's love rests on, right? Like when you and I were enemies, he sent his son so that this would be true for us. And so he's saying, hey, let me remind you of God's grace because it is only in light of God's grace that you will live out this grace with other people. Okay, so here's what I want you to think about. I'm gonna read this list, right? He's just talked about putting on an outfit. And so each one of these, I want you to think about a garment of grace, right? These are garments that he's asking us to put on so that when we have all of this on, we will be living in new creation attire, all right, so look at what he says. He says, you must clothe yourselves, right? Put on tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of, God, of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. All right, and so what he's saying ultimately is, hey, this grace that allows you to be at unity with God, it's living out grace that's going to allow you to be in unity with others. All right, and so unity, right, he's building towards unity, right, this idea of love, binding us together, peace. Unity is a result of one anothering well. All right, so it's a result of loving one another well. And here's why I wanna make sure we linger here for a moment. All right, unity or oneness is a word that you talk about in church, but it's also a term that gets talked about in a marriage, Right? And so one of the things that I've noticed is that an assumption that we make about unity is that we, will, we assume that as long as we spend time in proximity, kind of near somebody, that it will cultivate oneness in our relationship. 
right? I think what we've adopted is almost a passive view of unity. That as long as I'm kind of near you, some of the time that you and I will have unity and oneness, right? The reality is, is that's, that's a fallacy because if I'm spending time in proximity with you, you know what's gonna happen? I'm gonna sin against you and you're gonna sin against me. And so it's only a result of choosing to live sacrificially in our attitudes and our actions that actually cultivate oneness with people that we're in proximity to. It takes intentional Christ-like action. And so all the things that I'm gonna, we're gonna work through here in a moment, all of these things that Paul calls us to put on are things that we saw Jesus do perfectly in his life. Okay, and so what he's doing is he's saying, hey, get dressed with actions that are consistent with Christ, right? Put on a garment that radiates the reality of Jesus in your life. And so he says, the first thing he says is tenderhearted mercy, right? This is a deeply felt compassion. So let me ask you, is your heart tender towards other people in the church, especially people who are different than you? Is your heart tender, soft, compassionate? Kindness, right? Kindness is one of those things that I feel like we go, being kind is, is simple. Let me tell you what I've learned having an almost two-year-old. Uh, kindness is not natural to the sinful self or flesh um, because when you're selfish and you want what you want, you are not kind to people who stand in a way to get what you want. And so, like, we're already having this conversation all the time. I'm like, Ella, what you just did, not kind. Not kind. Right? And here's the deal. She's sweet. Don't get me wrong. She's real sweet, real cute. But, man, because she's a sinner, kindness does not overflow out of her, especially when she doesn't get what she wants. And I'm usually the cause of that. Okay. Um, humility. Right? Humility. Right, humility is this idea of having an appropriate view of ourselves. And so humility within the body of Christ, the reason this is so important is that what we should, the attitude we should have is that as I look around at other people in the room, what, what my attitude should be is, hey, I know how sinful I am and I know what God did to rescue me. And so I don't have any room to look down on anybody else. Because apart from the grace of God, man, I would, knowing me, I'd be way worse spot than they're in, right? Humility is having an accurate view of ourselves and then not looking down and exalting ourselves over people. Gentleness. It's a really interesting word to be in here, right? Other translations would translate this meekness, right? And meekness is not weakness. What meekness and gentleness is, is actually power or strength that's being reserved by God's control, right? Gentleness actually comes from a place of strength to say, I have strength that I could use against you or over you. And what I'm doing is I'm choosing to come under God's power. And so I'm taking my power and I'm bringing it into, I'm exercising self-control on my power so that my strength doesn't come against you, but it actually is able to be leveraged for you. That's what gentleness is. That's how we operate in gentleness towards one another. 
right? That, that how we live is using God's strength that he's given us for the benefit of and not the detriment of other people. Patience. Man, I hate it when this word makes it into these lists, man. Can I just be honest? I'm like, come on. We gotta talk about this again? Right, and one of the definitions I saw for patience, which was so helpful, is long-suffering in the face of insult or injury. I was like, I don't like that either. Long-suffering? I mean, it's gonna last for a long time and like directly in the face of and so what, I, what I've thought about over the last couple of years as I've begun to understand patience as long-suffering is mentally, I don't know, like my sinful flesh, my fuse is very short. And so what I've begun to do is not only picture, but ask God, hey, God, would you, um, would you take my fuse and would you actually make it longer? Could you actually lengthen my ability before I explode? And again, I'm a visual learner, so I, I mean, it's kind of like almost like, you know, Wiley the Coyote in there, right? Like he's got his little thing, you know, that's what's going on in my head, um, right? But really, Jesus would say this is the ability for us to turn the other cheek, that in the face of wrong being done to us, we can have patience with that person, right? And so that, that kind of blends into this idea of bearing with one another or making allowances for people's faults. Let me ask you, do you leave room for people to be imperfect, right? We, we, we acknowledge all of us are imperfect. So do we actually create space for people, right? And I'm not talking about giving leniency for sin. I'm just saying that do we have an expectation of people that God doesn't have for us or for them, right? Are we demanding differing things than God actually is? We're expecting more because we're expecting people to be perfect. Or do we actually create space to say, I know that person is, they're sinful as much as they love Jesus and there's, there's space where God is working in them. All right, and then kind of following the same vein is forgiveness, right? That, that we're not taking, we're not getting vengeance, we're not avenging ourselves, that we're ultimately forgiving. And this is important because if we don't forgive, right, if, we're, if we live in community the way that God expects us to, we have to be living in proximity enough to where other people can actually hurt us. And if we don't do the work to forgive, then what happens is that that frustration is going to build, and in our sinful flesh, malice or ill will will build up in our hearts towards them. And we can't live in this community with that going on. All right, and so, like, I, 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 can, I can feel our appreciation for just how burdensome this is. Right, like we're, we're all like, man, none of, us, none of us have the ability to do this. And so almost in summary, Paul is saying, hey, the only way this is possible is if we actually love each other. Love is the thing that binds it together. It's almost like a belt, right? You've, you've put on this whole outfit. Like last night, went to this wedding. I put on a suit. The suit Zach doesn't come out often, okay? But after I put everything on, and there's way more involved there than there normally is, Right? put this belt on to hold it all together, right? We can have some of these things if we don't love people, but if we love people, all of these things will ultimately come as a result. And then this isn't something we put on, but he talks about peace. He says, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. This is an athletic term. This is like an umpire or a referee. Yeah, deep appreciation <clears throat> and frustration towards referees in my life as a player and a coach. 
Here's the thing, what do, what do, what do referees do? Re- referees help you understand what, what is allowed, what's not allowed, what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. And so what he's saying is, hey, the peace of Christ should operate as a referee telling you what is inbounds and what's out of bounds for how we interact with one another. Now, can we just acknowledge how different our interactions would be if we paused and allowed the peace of Christ to operate as an official saying, nope, that's that one, nope, that's gonna be a foul. Don't do it. That's gonna be a foul. Right, and so all of these, when we put them on, they make up this, this new creation attire. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna tell you a story, right? Because I've just, I mean, I've just, I mean, I, I can feel it. I have just laid a burden on your shoulders with all of these things that Paul gives us. But I wanna, I wanna tell you a story that I came across studying this week um, that I thought really gives us a picture of this. And so um, I, don't, I actually couldn't find when this happened. Um, but back in the days when the Salvation Army hosted like evangelistic crusades, there was this one, there was this lady who would always come. And her name was Warrior Brown. And that was a nickname because Warrior Brown was known for being very fiery, always had a temper, and she was often inebriated at these events. And so as she would get drunk, the anger, as you can imagine, would increase, right? And so she was always around, and, and they, they made it a habit of, like, ministering to her. And so um, one day at one of these crusades, she gives her life to Jesus. And so she becomes a Christian, and about a week later, they're in the same town, and they let Warrior Brown share some of her testimony. So, so just imagine, there's this lady who, she's been a Christian for a week, Okay. She's up on stage sharing her testimony and a skeptic stands up and this just like shows you how like old school this is. It says that somebody threw a potato and hit her in the head. Which, listen, um, I don't know how I would respond if I got hit in the head by a potato, but it probably wouldn't be great. And so the story is that she, she kind of finishes talking. She doesn't say anything and everybody everybody's expecting like old nature warrior to come out and her go beat this guy to a pulp. She does it. She finishes her story, and without anybody noticing, she reaches down, she picks up the potato, slides it in her pocket, and leaves. And a couple months later, they're doing something. They're doing a harvest festival in the community, and she brings this little sack of potatoes as an offering to show who God is and what she's done in her life. And what she had done is she had taken the potato, she had cut it up, she had planted it, and was now bringing back evidence of what God had been doing in her to this community. And I just, I just, I, I came across that story and I was like, I don't even know how much of this is true, honestly, because I, I couldn't like find it. But I was like, man, this is such a representation for us of when we meet Jesus, we strip off the old nature, we put this on and the result is beautiful, right? At least people go in, I can't believe that person responded this way, did that or didn't do this, right? And so but this idea is that as we get dressed, you, you've seen somebody, right? Like last night at this wedding, right? The bride comes walking down in this wedding gown and there's something beautiful and radiating, right? The idea is that we get dressed with the garments of grace that we radiate the beauty of Christ. And so the question is, hey, are we, are we dressed in a way that is radiating the beauty of Jesus to our community? Right, not in actually what we have on, 
but in the, the attitudes and actions that we live out with one another. All right, and so this is one of those passages where there's like way more than we could ever like fully get into. But let me read these last two verses and watch how Paul finishes this passage by expanding the scope of what one anothering accomplishes, right? He's been talking about fellowship and relationships, but look at how he finishes this. He says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other. That's another one another right there. With all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. All right, so watch what happens. One anothering, we only usually think about relationships. What Paul does is he expands one anothering well to impact our discipleship and our worship. Right, so watch, he says, hey, fill your lives with the Bible, fill your life with the gospel, overflow with it onto other people. As you do, teach each other and correct each other, right? That, that is discipleship, that's how we grow. We're growing individually, we're growing together and how we one another will impact our discipleship because if I don't have a posture that allows me to learn from you and for you to learn from me, then we will not grow. So it impacts our discipleship. And then he says, and as you do that, what happens? You sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to God with a thankful heart. Like even our worship is impacted by how well we live out the one another's, right? So being devoted family that lives out the one another's of the Bible impacts our relationships, our discipleship, and our worship. It has far-reaching implications to all of our lives, all right, so let me just ask a couple questions for application as we close our time together. Thinking about this idea of being renewed, are you consistently being renewed more into the image of Christ? Are you growing more like him or are you standing still and allowing sin to grow in your life? What about in terms of divisions and distinctions? Are you allowing things to divide you that God says shouldn't? And I think a question there would be, what are the secondary issues to me that are most important and most likely for me to divide over? It's important to know those things. All right, and then how can you grow in living out these one another's? Right, as we went through that list, and it was long. Right, what, what is one, or if it's for me, it's ones <laughs> that are difficult for you and there's space to grow in? Right, if, 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 we, if we walk away knowing, hey, you know, one, I'm realizing that I just, I'm not patient with people or I don't bear with one another in their faults, right? Like what is one or two of those that you know you need to make progress in if you're going to one another well? And then I do want to ask, do, do you have a new nature in Christ? Meaning, are you a follower of Jesus? Has, has Jesus paid for your old sinful flesh so that you actually can permanently take off your old sinful flesh, which deserved death, and put on your new nature, your new life in Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him? Right, Because if, if we haven't done that, 
then at best, we can just work really hard to try to love people a little bit better, always knowing there's more that can be done and always seeing how we don't measure up. But in Christ, we can not only have a new nature, but we can have new desires and a living out of that from a confidence from, that comes from knowing we are loved by God and we have a relationship with him. And so if this morning you know, hey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and, and I want to begin one, then what I'm gonna do is after I'm done praying, I'm gonna be back in the back of the room as we sing our last couple songs and I would love to talk with you and pray with you today. All right, let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your grace. God, that all the things that you ask us to do, that you call us to do in Christ, we only do as a result of knowing you. And so God, we do not take for granted that we are chosen by you, that you pursued us. God, we don't take for granted that in Christ we are holy, that we are the ones that you love. Lord, we do not take any of that for granted. And God, it is from a position of being chosen and loved that we take on new nature attitudes and actions to love one another well. God, would you help us? God, would you help us when we don't have the strength, when we don't have the energy, God, when we don't even have the desire? Would you allow us to be a people who are marked by loving one another well? Would you allow us to experience community in your new covenant, a part of your church, the way that you intended? God, you've given us the church as a gift. You've given us these relationships, God, to be a family of believers. And God, I pray that you would allow us to live in light of what you've done and allow that to challenge how we live around other people. God, I pray for the person in here this morning who doesn't, who is not a new creation yet in Christ. God, would you, would you give them courage, boldness to, to move and have a conversation today about what does it look like to either begin a relationship with you or maybe have a conversation about what it, like rededicating or recommitting their life to you? God, this, this is only possible if we know you. So God, help us to be people who live like we know you, that live with beautiful, radiant reflections of who you ultimately are. God, we love you. It's your name I pray, amen.